Welcome to the Cracked Pots podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And this last week we had Mark 5, the, uh, the, the casting out of legion. The wasting of bacon. Yes, the wasting of bacon and, and the, the talking about mental health. Um, so one of the things that, with a text like this, um, lots of lots of angles that you can go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah ton, tons of, of angles you can go. So something you obviously because you brought your your wife Christina in to discuss the realities of of mental health issues and how um, stigmatized it is and how you know we really need to um, destigmatize it. Yeah, yeah. So again, not a normal. Not a normal Sunday, Saturday night and Sunday of worship here at Emmanuel, for sure. Um, I question going in, um, is this Jesus-y enough? Like, can we have this conversation that's more um, practical and in a sense secular? Again, not that faith doesn't play a role, and we talked about that um, this weekend, but it was definitely a more secular feel, um, in fact, Saturday evening, after you know, at the end of you know Christina joining me um, to have the conversation about mental health, I I actually you know kind of had the thought to myself, um, uh oh. There's this is really light on theology. Um, as the weekend went on, I got a little more comfortable with it. Um, I think. So, okay. Go, no, go ahead. I was gonna say, so someplace you didn't go that I thought you would. Um, was to discuss how faith plays a role from the standpoint of, yes, of course, we, we, we pray and we whatever, um, but also the recognition that God gives us things like doctors and therapists and medications to care for us because yeah. um, it, it, it's an old saying from, well, was, I think Mother Teresa kind of started at it, but then... Pope Francis uh, expanded yep. upon it with, yep. or gave his own spin of saying, um, I, I pray for the hungry and then I then feed, I them feed them yep. because that's how prayer works. You know, and, and Martin Luther with the, the whole idea of vocation. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we didn't, we didn't talk about that directly, I guess, um, sort of indirectly. Um, but I, I just, I, I yeah. found that interesting that you, di you didn't, yeah. Touch on it because I was like, it seems very relevant to me as well in the yeah. situation we're in right now. With yep. we get questions of, well, do we just pray for God to protect us from a um, pandemic, or yeah. do we pray to God to protect us and we take precautions yeah. because you know Noah didn't build or um, God didn't build the ark for Noah. He right. said, hey, this is yep. coming down the pipeline. Yeah, yeah. You need to do something. Yep, and we've talked about that quite a bit over the last few months. You know, this idea, not just related to COVID, but in general, mm -hmm. you know, God, God works through people through us. That includes science and medicine and all of those things. Um, certainly includes mental health. Um, so yeah, that was, a, we didn't make, we weren't explicit with that um, um, this weekend. No, it, and, and like I said, it just surprised me that that wasn't mentioned, but yeah. I, I, the direction you went with it definitely was something that was very needed in terms of um, discussing um, 
the, the need to, to acknowledge when you're struggling. Yeah, and I think we're bad at it. And, oh, of course we are. And I think especially, and I did mention this, sorry guys, um, we're probably um, more stubborn and more reluctant to reach out in terms of mental health than anyone. Right. Um, because of the stigma, it's, you know, we have to, we have to bear the weight, you know, we have to shoulder the load and, you know, shoulder well, the burden and, and all that And the flip garbage. side of that is for women, when we do reach out. You're emotional. We're too emotional. <laughs> yeah. And, yep. and we get, we basically then yep. it's the, yep. oh, see, we told you women can't do this yep. because they, 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 yeah. they're admitting that this is taking a toll on them. Yeah. So, so I, a so lot we, of women won't go get help either because yep. they go, well, I know if I do, all the men I work with are going to be like, up, oh, see. She's emotional. Or it's that time of the month. Yeah. Which, I, again, one of those again, unfortunate things that you know, society has sort of crafted. Not that there isn't um, a little bit of truth to it, but. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. Um, I, I, no, I'm, I'm the first to admit that, that there's a little crankiness that goes along with that. Sometimes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but let's be honest, like uh, you don't have the corner, the market on crankiness cornered in this, no, uh, this uh, ministry relationship here. Um, <laughs> yeah, any have, given day it's like, okay. Maybe it's better to have an excuse. To, yeah, there you, you know, go. You just go, hey, you know what? It's a, Sorry, it was check this. the calendar. Yeah, and you're like, oh, um, okay, yeah. For me, I, I just like I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, or I didn't sleep well last night. Like I'm just cranky. Um, so it's really funny you say that. I was fighting with a, <laughs> with a printer um, before we hopped on here, and we've got new flooring in the office, and it's uh, like that vinyl plank flooring. And the nice thing about it, with dress shoes on, you can stomp. Yes. Um, and I was stomping. I was this morning. You can't sneak in the office anymore. You can't sneak in the office. No. And so I was, I was stomping away from the copier in disdain, um, intentionally making a point. Um, <laughs> of although, how disgusted and mad you were at yeah, the printer. Yeah, at, at the printer. That um, printer causes a lot of angst. It was um, not, my, not my quote time of the month. It was just my disdain Didn't sleep well for that printer. Yeah. Didn't sleep well, whatever. Um, but it is Taco Tuesday. Anyway, um, Back to the task at hand. You know, it's, it's, I, I think that stigma is so ingrained in society, both from, you're, you're right, from the, from the female perspective and the male perspective. And if we have an opportunity to break that just a little bit, um, to move people forward, that's a huge win. So, so I'm thinking of Simone Biles. Yes. And, and that was one of the things in retrospect. So, so one of the things that we do and I say we as in me and Pastor Rebecca, because I know she does it too. You preach a sermon, and then Sunday afternoon or evening or Monday, you go, oh man. I should have mentioned this. I wish I would have included that. So the, it, it's really interesting. So the athletic world in particular, I'm, I'm a sports fan, so if it's, if it's like on the sports radar, I'm probably somewhat plugged into it. Um, the athletic world has done a really good job lately of trying to break that stigma. So you mentioned Simone Biles. Um, there's a number of NBA basketball players um, and, and athletes across virtually every sport, Dak Prescott, you know, have, that have talked about depression or anxiety. And you, you think of our athletes as these people that are... Superheroes. Superheroes and, and you know, strong and, and all of these things. And so when they speak out, I mean, that definitely carries weight. Um, unfortunately, you get some people, um, some hot takes on talk radio, of course, 
um, or from certain tennis players. Yeah, that push back against that and you know sort of try and go back to the old stereotypes. Um, and it's really you not can't helpful. handle the heat. You shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, exactly. You know, whatever. Can't handle the pressure. Um, I jokingly said that my wife has has contributed to gold medals um, because she taught a stress and anxiety management class. Um, at the University of Florida, and a number of University of Florida athletes yeah, are... especially some swimmers. Yeah, are gold medalists. So I, I jokingly have said my wife deserves a gold medal. And you could probably sit there and say, well, she's married to you, so she's put up with that. That's definitely gold medal worthy, and that would be valid. This would be valid. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it's really interesting. So I, I fell into that category of, I don't need this. I just deal with it, you know, I... Christina jokes, I always deal with everything with humor, and that's maybe not the best way to do it, but hey. Yeah, I got accused of that during CPE. Yeah. So, yeah. I was good on CPE. I was afraid in CPE because my CPE supervisor was like hardcore, so I was afraid to joke too much in CPE, at least when he was in the room. I, I got told I, I deflect all of my anxiety through humor. Yeah. So I, this past, over the past year, um, I started seeing a, a therapist, a counselor, and I was like, wow, this is like helpful. Huh. Go figure. And, and I don't know, like I, for me, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't really the stigma that held me back. Um, and I don't know if it was pride or just maybe it was just ignorance um, of not seeing the stress or not, not recognizing the stress that I was under um, in juggling everything. I think, you know, like, like most things, COVID has brought things to the surface, which is, which was why, which is ultimately why I chose this direction. You know, because we talk a lot about COVID and isolation and depression and anxiety and all those things are just really ratcheted up during COVID, which is one of the reasons that we took this, this little detour this week into the you know, more secular than theological in terms of talking about uh, mental health. So you know, having the opportunity to work with a, work with a therapist has been, has been really helpful. Um, you know, gives you some, you know, she gave me, my therapist gave me some skills to kind of work on um, and different ways to think and process things because we all get stuck in our own thinking. So I would love to say that I'm not a, well, I've always done it this way. And in a lot of ways, I'm not a, get off my lawn, I've always done it this way. But in terms of the routines that we get ourselves into, they're called routines for a reason. And those routines aren't, as, aren't, aren't only, um, I'm going to floss and brush my teeth and brush my hair before I go to bed or whatever, whatever your bedtime routine is or your morning routine, I'm going to get up, I'm going to eat breakfast, I'm going to shower, blah, 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 blah. You know, our routines are how we process information too. So you know, when, when you're confronted with something that you know, could be stressful or anxiety producing, we, we get in the same routine of how we deal with that. And most of, most of the time, we don't deal with it. Um, Christina, Christina uses the analogy of a bucket and you can only fill your bucket so much before it overflows. And when it overflows, what comes out is never good. Hmm. And that's, that's like, that analogy for me, um, at the time I didn't get it, but as like, for me, as my stress would build up, I would see what was coming out of that bucket. Ooh, that's not pretty. And then you have to find ways to empty your bucket. Mm -hmm. um, and, and counseling is a good way to empty that bucket, um, depending what's, depending what's in it. So yeah, now I've always looked at another analogy that just goes the opposite direction but makes the same point is you can't fill a cup with an empty vessel of when you've, you've run out of gas 
yep. and you've expended everything you've got, um, that means you've got nothing to give other people. Yeah. Um, and I, I look at that from a ministry standpoint of knowing when to draw boundaries, knowing when to be, you know, say, look, I need to take some mental health and take care of me because I am of zero use to you yep. when I have nothing to offer because I am so burnt out yeah. or I'm so just overwhelmed. Yeah, and that, and that doesn't just apply to ministry. That applies to any, any, any work, kind of any work yep. you do and mm -hmm. family life. Yep. I mean, for most of us, it's not, for most people, it's not, uh, I get home from work and I'm done doing anything for the night. Um, you know, whether you have a family or you're single, um, single living alone, it's, I mean, there's stuff you got to do. Uh, there's a lot of stuff you got to do because yeah. there's no one else to do it. Right. I mean, it's, it, you know, <laughs> whether it's paying bills or making dinner or cleaning up or, you know, whatever, you know, we all have things that we need to do. And when that, when that anxiety and that stress and that, you know, mental illness or those mental illness traits creep in, the less productive we are. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I talked about this, I think, in a newsletter article or something about you know, just going on vacation. You're taking that week's vacation, you go, wow. You come back and you're refreshed a little bit and go, oh, okay, this is, this is good. I get it. Yeah. Um, well, and like I've noticed since COVID, um, I'm normally a very creative person. It's one of my outlets. Yep. And I have noticed since COVID, I have none of my creativity. It's just gone. And, and it's been, and it's kind of a, what's, what's behind that? What's, you know, what's, what's the, you know, and, and I will find myself at times coming home and literally just staring at the TV and being like, I'm done, yeah. I'm not moving, and that's it, yeah. <laughs> which is unusual for me. I'm usually always working on something. My, my creative brain is usually having to produce something, whether it's writing, whether it's painting, whether yeah. it's something I'm, I'm busy doing, and it just, it has not been there. And I know that's part of, of depression, anxiety, et cetera, that it's all, you know, and, and it's interesting how it manifests itself because there've been other times in my life where I've been depressed and anxious or whatever, and that creative outlet has been my, my, yeah. my saving grace, so to speak. It was the thing that kept me going. It was the thing that, that, that was able to take all the bottled up emotion. Yep. Um, so it's different how there, there are different things that affect you in different ways, and it's not, well, when I get depressed, this is what I do. It's no, it depends on the kind of depression and yeah, yeah. what the thing is, how you respond. Yeah, and that's why, you know, some of the signs aren't, oh, it's definitely this. You know, for some mm -hmm. people, it manifests itself more in a mania where, you know, you're more compulsively. Now, not in the, what was the movie with Jack Nicholson where he was? One the, Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? No, no, no. The no. Obsessive Compulsive. Oh, As Good As, as Good It Gets. I'm yeah. talking As Good As It Helen Gets Hunt. where you're like, constantly cleaning things and wiping things down, but that compulsion of, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just keep myself busy and go, 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 so you don't have to think about anything. You're just doing something. And then there's also the flip side where you feel like you can't do anything. Yeah. And so one of the telltale signs is that, is that change in behavior, you know, change in patterns, things that used to bring you joy no longer bring you joy, things that used to do you no longer do, and you isolate, those sorts of things. So again, that's not... One of the reasons we did this wasn't just so that we could maybe identify it in ourselves, which isn't always easy. Um, we've talked on here a lot about you know, our inability to self-reflect, um, being a plague in society. Um, but also, you know, can we point that out in our... Can, can we recognize that in our loved ones? Yeah. Um, 
And I think that's, that's really important. Um, you know, can we identify behavior changes, behavioral changes, and, and those we're, we, we love, those we spend time with, those we care about, and go, oh, wait a minute, this is different. And then, and then that should, hopefully, here, so one of two things happens. It either prompts us to engage or it prompts us to go, ooh, I don't want to be involved. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we pull that I don't want to be involved card, which isn't healthy, isn't helpful. I get it. I get it. Um, helping someone through depression and anxiety and those things when you don't experience it and don't understand it is really hard. So I don't, I'm, not, I'm not an anxiety person. Um, my son is, and Christina is to some degree, but my son really is. And when he's struggling with that, he's kind of learned <laughs> that maybe I'm not the person to talk to, mm-hmm. and not because I don't care, but, but it's hard for you to understand. I can't relate. Yeah. You know, when he's like, I just, I just, it, being around people causes me anxiety. Like, what do you mean being around people causes? What do you mean? Just, they're people. Just go hang out. Whatever. I, if he's I, not wired that way. Yeah, and I could not relate until I went through my divorce. Right. And that triggered in me an anxiety that I didn't know I had in me because um, I'd never experienced it before. And I had um, my, my first basically uh, experience with anxiety was when I was about 41 years old and um, had just filed for divorce and whatnot and... and I walked into a grocery store, had a panic attack, and had to turn around and walk out. Yeah. And I had a lot of trouble for a couple of years going shopping, believe it or not. Actually, I've never been a huge shopper anyway, but just there was an anxiety, and I can't tell you. I, I think it had to do with decision-making, I think, was the issue. Um, that's when I, you know, I was kind of trying to figure yeah. out, okay, what's behind this? Yeah. Why, why grocery stores? Why? why is that the problem? And I think I finally came to the conclusion that it was, I had to make decisions about things and it yeah. was just one more level of decision-making that were, and, and it was, I didn't want to cope or deal with it. Plus having a lot of people around me and, um, I just, I, I did. I just turned around. I grabbed like a block of cheese, paid for it, and left. And uh, that, that, I at least grabbed cheese, yeah, because uh, that was the important thing. Um, I, you know, that, that's that's really interesting because um, I similar experience. You know, it's it, it it's it's really weird how you know how it affects you and manifests. It's again, I'm not I'm not an anxious person. But there is that, for me, it was, there's that decision fatigue. I think, it's, I think that's like an official term. If not, I just made it up and somebody can, don't, I'm going to copyright that in case. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a thing. Um, you know, this idea of decision fatigue. So in the early stages of COVID, when, you know, we're having executive committee meetings and having conversations, like literally with our, with our council, church council leadership team like every two to three days, and then when things slow down once a week, talking about what we do to move forward, like... It's hard. It was a lot of decisions, and I mean, not to be dramatic, but they're literally life and death decisions. Yeah. You know, oh, we're going to do this, and things were changing so rapidly. You know, we had a meeting and made a decision, and then... Um, the NBA canceled their season and the NCAA tournament got canceled. I'm like, oh, like those are huge. So we, we've said this before a lot too. Our society revolves around money. 
and money makes decisions. And when those two huge money-making things were like, yeah, we're not going to do those right now. It's not safe. It makes you pause and go, oh, wait a minute. They're willing to, to, to let yes. millions and billions of dollars go down the tubes yes. for the safety of, yeah. of and people. It, it makes you go, okay, so we need to reevaluate. So you reevaluate, you make some decisions, and then you get more information. And, and, and that decisions. was kind of the turning point, I think, for you and me, where when that happened, we went, yeah. oh, um, oh we, shit! We really pardon need, the French. Yeah, we but, really need to pay attention to this. Yeah. And and if I remember right, you know, we kind of had some conversations, and um, it was like that Saturday afternoon. We we had decided we were still going to have services, yep. but you know, we weren't going to pass the plate and whatever. And like at noon, I think I called you and I went, "I've got a re really really bad feeling. I I don't feel comfortable." Yeah. And you said, "I I'm feeling the same way." Yeah, and I had. And the key for us in that original plan was um, that everybody was going to make the right decision. And in that afternoon, we had three phone calls from people asking if we were still having worship, and they were people that were, would have been identified as high risk in terms of not just if they, if they became COVID positive, but in terms of spread. And you know, I you know, started calling some other colleagues and said, what are you guys doing? You know, what's your plan? And then called our leadership team and said, I know that, that yesterday we decided we were going to do this. And I know that you know, we're literally worshiping in six hours. We need to pull the plug on this because our, our assumptions that we were making and relying on for this to maybe be safe are faulty. Mm -hmm. And so over, that, over the next few months, like something as simple as what's for dinner, I, had, like, I couldn't answer. It was hard. Um, I, and I didn't want to answer. It was like... I, well, and I don't want to. I don't want to make any more decisions. I just sat and and had to. We had to make decisions all day about things that are more important than dinner, and I'm. I have no more bandwidth. Yeah, I'm just spent. And and I want to go back, and you were like, and you said, well, not to be dramatic, but you know, these were life or death decisions, and I, I think it's okay to be dramatic because yeah. they were life or death decisions, yeah. and and yeah. I, that was, I think, what finally for us was like, wait a minute, people can die. And, and we are not in the business of doing things that... We're not in the business of killing people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're not in the business of, of sending people to see, to, to see Jesus earlier than yeah. they need to. We hope you experience um, Jesus, but not in that way... Before your time, so to blah, speak. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, I mean, for us, it really was. It was, this, this is life or death. And we know there were a lot of people out there that were going, oh, well, if it's my time, it's my time, which, fine, except for the fact that... Um, it wouldn't necessarily be just your time. It would be whoever else you'd been around, yeah. potentially their time too. <laughs> and, and, we were, and we were both pretty plugged in um, just from a church standpoint with the number of congregations that were starting to you know, not do anything, not take any precautions. And we're How that was going. Yeah, and we're having huge outbreaks within the congregations. You know, okay, wait a minute. Um, our, our music director, our, our cantor music director, organist... Um, extraordinaire, um, was having the same conversations with other music directors going, you know, what are you, what are you guys doing? Um, so we're pulling a lot of information. It was just a lot of decision making. Mm -hmm. you know? so, so this text was really a good opportunity to kind of address mental health. But it's interesting. That, you know, we, this is another thing we say a lot. There's so many angles. You know, this text before, you know, there's an economic component to it. Yep. You know, as, as I jokingly said at the beginning of worship, or the beginning of my sermon, there's, that's a lot of bacon that gets wasted. Um, well, there's that, a, a component we shy away from as well. Go ahead. The, the 
demon element. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lutherans, we don't touch that. We don't touch demons and spirits in hell. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, that's it's, the reality. It's, it's, yeah. it, it, it's you know, we, we kind of shy away from addressing the fact that it's actually called a demon in this particular, you know, we, yeah. we are legion. Um, yeah. But I, I do want to touch on it just briefly. Yeah. Because there was, when I was in seminary, um, there was a PhD student who she was doing her thesis or whatever it was um, on uh, the the balance between actual, quote, demon possession and mental health issues. And she was studying how in the African church, they are, they, they, they treat both issues. They, they, they say some stuff is mental illness, some stuff is actual demon, you know, is a spiritual issue. Yeah. And so, of course, my question being me was, okay, so how do they do that? How do they tell the difference? And her answer was, oh, well, that I don't know. And I was like, well, then find that out because I need to know that. <laughs> Never did find out um, right. what, their, you know, what their litmus test is for, for the difference. Um, but I... We don't like to talk about it, and I certainly never, ever in my world ever want to chalk up a mental health issue as, oh, they're just demonic or, you know, they're just yep. demon-possessed. Yep. And yet at the same time, I think to completely ignore the spiritual aspect of it yep. is not healthy either. Yeah, so to kind of tie it back a little bit, so one of the things we talked about this weekend was... So this man would not be labeled the garrison demoniac. He would be labeled as the man who is possessed by a demon. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it saves his personhood. Yeah. Um, you know, same with mental illness. It's not um, crazy Uncle Bob. It's Uncle Bob who has mental illness or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that it humanizes. But yeah, it, we don't talk about that part. But it is. And, and I, it's, it's a really slippery slope, but I think part of it for most people, including you know Lutherans, it's one of the struggles is how do you identify? Right. You know, how do you identify that demon possessed? Now we could take a really broad brush and say that anything that is outside the ordinary lean so so if you have sorry, sports analogy, you have a football field, you have a bound, you have out of bounds on the right, out of bounds on the left, right? Normal would be in bounds. Mm -hmm. Anything that's out of bounds on the good side, it's, it's Jesus, it's God, it's spirit, the spiritual peace, that, that spiritual blessing, that miracle. And on the negative side, it's, well, if it's on that side of the field, it's demon-possessed. And, and maybe that's a helpful way to put it. Um, if, you know, and I, I think in a general sense, sometimes we say, oh, well, that's, that's off, that's out of bounds, that's not normal, it's evil. It's, 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 the, it's a demonic, it's possessed. And, and maybe that's the case, I don't know. Um, and I would catch a lot of flack from other Lutheran pastors for even mentioning that I, I, yep. I'm, I, I'm willing to entertain the, the, yeah. the demon thing. Um, just from my own, I guess, experiences sometimes of, of there are certain times you, you come into contact with, with I, I guess I would call it certain energies that, you know, it, it, it leaves you feeling ew. <laughs> um, and, but at the same time, I'm very careful about it because I don't ever want someone who's struggling with a mental illness to feel like they are somehow demon-possessed, you know, that, that, that that's, 
that's what's wrong with them. Well, but I think, I think if you, again, if you take it back to um, that not being their label. Right. Even that, it's not like it's their fault. They did it. They're, they're ew, mm-hmm. as you put it. And, um, and, know, and a lot of times I think what we do in the, the um, again, the Lutheran church is I, I think we just sort of relabel uh, it as a more of a metaphorical this is the mental health illness and that is the demon you're dealing with. Yeah. And, and yeah. so to speak, yeah. where not a literal like yeah. little creature kind of thing, <laughs> but yeah. th- this is the demon that you're, you're fighting. This is the demon that you're dealing with. And, and a lot of times I think that becomes um, the way in which there's, and I think it's safe to say there's a melding between the mental, the mental health issue, the secular side of it, the, the, the science side of it, and the spiritual side of it. Yeah. That, that there's multiple things going on in terms of when, you know, and when Christina was up there talking a little bit about, you know, having a faith community that you can bring into, you know, and I really do believe there is a spiritual component to um, dealing with mental health care. Absolutely. And that's why I guess for me, it's whether it's a literal demon type, you know, that, that kind of, you know, exorcist sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> or if, if we're, we're talking about it more metaphorically in terms of yep. this is what you're struggling with. This is your demon. This is the thing that, that consumes you. Yeah. Um, I do every, on um, Good Friday, I do Mary Magdalene. And the story of Mary Magdalene is Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Um, seven being significant because it's a, a number of completeness yep. um, and wholeness. And so it, it's sort of that, you know, the, the, the number is suggesting Mary Magdalene was somehow wholly and completely possessed of something um, and, or, or her life was taken over by something. And I think for me that's kind of the, um, how I look at it is, your life is being consumed. Well, I mean, look at addiction. I mean, addiction yeah. is an all-consuming thing. And even if you're, you're not currently, if you've managed to, man, if, if, you've, if you're at a point in your life where you've managed that addiction, it's still there. Right. Like it doesn't, addiction doesn't just go away. No. You don't forget about it. it it's all-consuming. And now you can... You can get to a point where you're where you're man- health where you're managing your addictions in a healthy way, but they're still there. Mm-hmm. You know that I guess that's one difference between you know that side of mental health and the story you know, where Jesus casts out the demons into the pigs. The pigs go, you know, and and you know the guy that was possessed was is, sitting there, clean shaven, clothed. He's, he's all fine. cool. It's like yeah. oh, I'm all good. It's all good. Um, and and that's maybe maybe and that so that's sort of the unrealistic portion of the story as it ties to mental health. Um, and, and whenever we have talked about you know being Jesus to people or whatever, I have always my my biggest struggle has always been the healing component because um, people are like, well, you need to you know yeah. when when we deal with with people that are difficult to deal with, and I say, yeah, but Jesus got to heal them. He he got to fix their problem. Yeah, I can't do that. I, I mean, I can help them get treatment. I can yeah. help them. Um, we, we, can, we can cross that, the, the river. We can cross the lake. We can cross whatever boundary, right. which was allotted in the story, to walk with that person to help them. Right. But you're right. We can't, 
I can't fix the problem. I can't make the dysfunction go away. I can't yeah. make the, the, yeah. the addiction go away. I can't make the, um, you know, whatever it is they're struggling with, um, the depression, the anxiety, the, the bipolar, the yeah. whatever, you know, the schizophrenia, whatever it is, I can't make it go away. Yeah. Yep. Um, as much as I would really wish I could, um, yeah, that I could absolutely. just say, demon be gone and, and have it. You just it. need a herd of pigs. I, I guess. So we need to, we need to call Marge in and get her, her pig farmer, you know, and maybe, right. maybe this is how we do it. No. Uh. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, this text, I always, I don't know how many times I've preached this text in Mark's gospel. Um, but I, I know the majority of the times when it comes up, I always take the angle of Jesus crossing those boundaries into the unchurched territory. Because I'm not mistaken, this is the first instance in Mark's gospel where, where Jesus leaves the, the, the happy, familiar, comfort, comfortable, and safe and crosses into Gentile unchurched territory. And interestingly, what happens at the end of this story? They tell him to go away. Yeah. They tell him they're yeah. scared. Well, two things. Two things happen. One... Um, Le the man named his legion, the, the guy that's no longer possessed, says, I, basically, I want to follow you. And he's like, no, no, go home. Yeah. Which I really find interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm still wrestling with that part myself. But then you're right. The, the townspeople should be like, all right, you got to go. Thanks, bye. Yeah. And, and so I wonder how much of it is, oh, my God. Like, the, this guy was, cra was crazy. We banished him. We locked him up. He was, you know, uh -huh. self-harm, all those things. And now he's just like dude sitting sitting at the coffee shop, all shaved and fine. That's scary. Yeah. And then there's also the economic component of you just trashed all of our pigs and crashed a part of our economy. Because there is, is that, that economic yeah. component too. So I totally get why they would both be afraid of Jesus and be mad at him right. uh, for this for what happens. Yeah, go away. You 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 just destroyed our, our livestock for yeah. you know that that was several however many, you know, a thousand pounds that you came up with, I think, of, of, of yeah, pulled pork I, I, and, and bacon. I think and, it was like, and I think it was like 16,000 pounds of bacon. I don't know. I did the math. You know, Google's a wonderful thing. I don't even know. I don't know if it's always accurate. But if you Google how <laughs> many pounds of bacon you can get per pig, well, again, you're working with averages here. Yes. And you take that and multiply it by the number of pigs. In a herd. It was a lot of bacon. Yeah. Breaks my heart. Um, but, but yeah, that, that economic, you know, it's like, get, get away from us. And I have, you know, and even within Christianity, we have that issue too. Um, I grew up I, I, in a farming community. And when the church decides to take on certain issues um, that might, I don't know, affect farming in, you know, one way or another, whether it's GMOs or, you know, whatever, and they decide to take some kind of stance, yeah. you find farmers, you know, good Christian farmers pushing back. And because guess why? The economic Economics. issue. And it affects their livelihood. And it's, wh it's why Jesus talks about money so much and economics so yeah. much. And, and it was just an interesting, um, because I think the ELCA came out with some kind of statement one time about like GMOs or something. They did. And... I was a pastor in rural Nebraska yep. at the time. It was not a it's not a bulk farming friendly no. de declaration. And 
it was one of those things where we, we would weekly get together as a group of pastors around our area, and I was in Kearney, which was a much bigger, actually, believe it or not, the bigger metropolitan area compared to some of these other little towns. like Air Mid- quote metropolitan. Yeah, yeah like Minden and, and um, Smithfield and whatever. Um, and those pastors were just like, we're not touching it. They're like, we, we can't touch that topic in our congregations because that is our congregation. This, this is their livelihood, and to have the church come in and tell you your livelihood needs to change or needs to be altered in some you, way, yeah. the way you do the it. The way you do it to maximize your profits yeah. needs to change. Yeah. And so that's, a re- so that's really interesting. I, so take that to, so for here in Florida, largely speaking, that is a non-controversial thing. Largely speaking, right, we can preach against GMOs here, and people go, oh, "Okay, whatever." Why are you talking about this? But let's take it to something, you know, more controversial here, uh, whether it's water pollution or or something like race. You know, you look at those issues and go, "Oh, wait a minute!" Like, this is tangible, um, and and there are a lot of pastors that won't. The ELC is the whitest denomination in in the country, um, and I don't even think it's close. So when, when the ELCA talks about race, that's, that's a bold move because you're looking at really potentially ticking off a number of people. Mm-hmm. And we start talking about systemic change and white supremacy, you know, that, that's a hard conversation um, in the ELCA congregation that really isn't, that, that, part, that portion of it really isn't geographical, because largely speaking... We're you know, 96% white, yeah. isn't, isn't that? I, it's something ridiculous. It's 96 weird. or 98, I think yeah. it's 96. It's over 95% yeah. white. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's really hard. And so you, 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 you kind of pick and choose and figure out where, where, the, where the places are, and then you get that conviction, or get convicted personally, um, well, what and am you I, take it personal. What am, I, what am I called to do? You know, can, you know, is this an issue that is in line with Scripture that needs to be addressed? Yes. Is it going to take people off? Yes. Do I have the nerve to say it? Maybe. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> maybe. And, and you have to make that battle. Because here's the reality. You know, there's also the economic component. Congregation gets mad because you're in Nebraska preaching against GMOs, and they say, you know what, we don't need to hear about this, we're not going to put money in the offering plate, can't afford to pay our pastor, pastor has to leave, oh, guess what, money. Which is why Jesus talks so much about money. Yeah. Because it, it, it affects it, everything. It affects literally everything. It affects mental health. It affects their, your ability yep. to get mental health. You know, it is Florida, and I, I didn't mention this, I don't think, at all three services. I may have at one or the other. Florida ranks near the bottom um, of the 50 states in terms of mental health care. Yeah. I mean, we're atrocious in this state in terms of mental health care. And it's... You know, well, insurance and, companies don't cover it. And, well, know, and even if they do, the care they get is, I, I'm going to say, very questionable, having had somebody that I know who spent three days in a behavioral um, health clinic. It wasn't the hospital, but it was like one of those special, yeah. you know, um, kind of um, behavioral health places they've got over in Stewart. And this person spent about three days there and came out going, I got no therapy. Yep. I got no care. Those, it was basically, they just locked me up, put hold, me in my room. They're holding tanks to hopefully get you through your crisis so you no longer want to kill yourself. Right. I, I mean, that's a really blunt way to put it. But when I did my chaplaincy work, 
you know, I had, I had a, for, it was weird, one of the um, social workers in that unit I went to college with, and actually she dated my, my college roommate, so we were good friends, we knew each other well, and there was a patient that was on the, in the unit um, that had tried to, was living in a hotel, tried to kill himself, and his discharge plan was to go back to that hotel. And, I, and after like, I don't know, 72 hours, and I, I, said, I said, what, what the hell are you doing? This guy's going to die because his discharge, she said, I can't do anything. Yeah. Like, my hands are completely tied. You are right. This, this is not a good situation, but I can't do anything. And we have him set up for mental health counseling, but oh yeah, that's not for three weeks after discharge. Yeah, well, and, and uh, you know, this, the, the idea, and, and the, this person referred to the, uh, this, this behavioral health unit place as um, basically jail. It's a holding tank. Yeah, and yep. you know they aren't allowed X, Y, and Z, yep. and it was they felt trapped and yep. and whatever. And and the sad part of that is, the next time they need help, they will not ask for it no. because they know that's where they're going to be sent, yep. and because they they were under the misapprehension that if I tell somebody I'm struggling um, and thinking of killing myself. Um, I'm going to get help. Yeah. And they did not get help. They got thrown into this jail, basically. Yeah. And flat out, it, you know, they said, I am never telling anybody again if Pre I'm, I'm at care, that place. Because preventative care is always yeah, it's a just, better it's option. Horrible. But it's, yeah, it's uh, largely speaking, most of those treatment facilities, the crisis, crisis center facilities, are literally that. It's a crisis. And we yeah. need to make sure that you live to see tomorrow. Yep. Um, and sometimes what has to happen in those places isn't pretty. It's necessary, um, but again, because we're so poorly funded in terms of mental health, mm -hmm. the, the continuum of care isn't always there. Um, yeah, th I mean, those places do their job functionally in a sense that they keep people alive. Um, but the therapy part doesn't necessarily take place there. And you hope and pray that there's that follow-up and they go to their next appointments and things like that. But it's, it is, it's really, mental health is serious. Um, it, can be, it can be debilitating. Um, we're about at time, we're at least up against a different um, barrier than what we typically are, um, AKA Pastor Chad has a meeting. Um, so I wanna, there's a couple resources. One of them is NAMI. Um, which is a website that can help. And NAMI stands for National Alliance in Mental Illness, I believe is what it is. So there's a website, NAMI, N-A-M-I.org. Um, check that out. Um, also, psychology, so if, if, you've, if you're getting to the point where it's like, I recognize I'm struggling. Um, I recognize I need some help. Um, one way to do that is to go, Psychology Today um, has a search in it that you can plug in all different kinds of variables, your location, you know, how far you're willing to drive, insurance, all of those sorts of things to help you find providers in your area that, that take your insurance. Some areas are, are better than others. Um, some insurances are better than others. Um, some therapists will also work with um, no insurance where you know, they'll lower their rate a little bit. And there's also things like talk space and I'm drawing a blank on the other one, which are basically virtual 
uh, virtual counseling, which is a little, you know, it's less restrictive in terms of area. So, mm -hmm. but if, if you need assistance with those things, um, f please reach out. Either check out those sites on your own, um, and if that doesn't work and you can't navigate, reach out to, you know, myself or, or Pastor Rebecca, and we can help point you in that direction. Um, the last thing we want to do is have somebody that needs help and, and can't find it or can't get it or, you know, is making an effort. So we will, I would love to say that we are, we can do all the counseling and therapy and fix your problems. But as my wife so aptly points out, and she's, we are not counselors. she's absolutely 100% right. This is not what you're trained for. Nope. Um, and I always say, I can, I can maybe get you from point A to B or from point A to C, but I can't get you through the alphabet. Nope. Um, and, and, you know, I good, can point you in the direction yep, of where to get help. Yep, yep. Um, and we certainly want to be a resource for that. So if you need those resources, please um, feel free to reach out. Okay. All right. Um, I think that's it for, for this week. Next week is uh, Sarah's laughter. Ha, 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 Oh, yes, you did laugh. Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> oh, yes, you did. So we will talk to you Next week about that, of course, always tune in for uh, our worship service. You can hear Pastor Chad's sermon um, this coming weekend and um, on, on good old uh, Sarah. So we will see you then. Bye.